Let's turn to 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. And the theme of this letter we've seen is living hope. That by faith in Jesus Christ, we are guaranteed eternal, never-ending, always-increasing joy in Jesus Christ forever, guaranteed. By faith in Christ, that is a done deal. It is secure by his finished work on the cross. You, by faith in Christ, have a living hope. Your future is awesome. We've also seen these last few weeks in particular that because of this amazing living hope that we have, we are able to follow Jesus Christ, live for his glory, seek to make disciples of all peoples, we can do that without fear of what we might suffer as a consequence. We can follow Christ without fear of how we might suffer, how we might experience loss as a consequence. And that, we've seen that these last few weeks, that's again the message from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. And in this passage, Peter's going to give us three reasons why we do not need to fear anything we might suffer on the road of obedience to Jesus Christ. But before we look at the passage, I wanted to help us get in touch with how we, we do struggle with fear of what we might suffer. This is maybe more real to us than we might think. Let me give you a couple of examples so you'll say, oh yeah, this is something I deal with. Let's say that this next week you have just dropped your kids off at school and you're having coffee with some other school moms, say in this case, and they start gossiping about another school mom who's not there. And it is, it's vicious gossip. And you're feeling in your heart, I know that Jesus has called us not to gossip. Lord, help me. And then one of them leans over and says, what do you think about her? And at that moment, this fear starts to rise up in your heart, right? If I don't participate, what are they going to think about me? Might make our relationships awkward in the future. They might even turn their kids against my kids. Who knows what could happen? Can you feel how fear at that point could keep you from obeying Jesus Christ and not gossiping? It's very real. We all deal with this. Here's another example. You're at work, and at your workplace, some of the people that are there, as part of their work, are doing something that is dishonest. Cheating, dishonest, whatever you might want to call it. It's part of what they're doing. And you're being brought into their group where they do dishonest things, and now you have to decide whether you're going to do dishonest work or not. And you're gripped by the very real fear that if you don't go along with what they're doing, not only will they look down on you, you may miss promotions in the future, you might even lose your job. You just feel this fear. Maybe I should just go along. Can you feel that? It's very real for us. One more example. Think about your neighborhood. Let's say you've met someone in your neighborhood that you know does not know Jesus Christ. And God has stirred your heart. They are lost. They are facing judgment forever. You have the gospel. You've been praying for them. And, and you're thinking, I, I might want to invite them out for coffee or maybe invite them over for coffee just to hear their story some more and share the good news of Jesus' life and death for their sins and resurrection. They can be forgiven. 
But as you think about inviting them over for coffee, you start to think, but like, what if they're really angry when I share about Jesus? What if they are hostile towards Christians? That could, could like start lots of gossip in the neighborhood. So all these doors are being closed and people start looking at me funny and I'm not sure I want, want to do that. And, and fear in all of these cases can keep us from obeying Jesus Christ. It can keep us from glorifying Jesus Christ. It can keep us from obeying him when he calls us to make disciples of all the nations. And can you see that we all deal with this? This is something we all struggle with. But the good news is in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, and we've seen some reasons already, but here Peter gives us three more reasons why we do not need to fear anything that might happen to us on the path of obedience. So let's take a look. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Now, as a church, we've been working hard on growing in our Bible study skills. And we've seen that one of the most important steps for studying any passage is to understand the main point of that passage. We've also seen that one of the most clear clues to main points is to find commands, because commands are always main points. The problem, though, is that in this passage, there's no commands. So what's the main point of this passage? And I want you to notice the first word of verse 18. Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Notice that word for. One of the most important words in the Bible is the word for. The word for has the same meaning as because or since. And the word for shows that what comes right after the word for, it gives a reason for a main point that was stated before. See that? The word for or the word since or the word because shows what's going to come next is reason for the main point that was already stated. So the main point of verses 18 through 22, that, verse, that word for shows us is in the previous verses. So I looked at the previous verses to say, okay, what, what are the main points there? And I found three commands, really four commands, I think, in verses 14 through 17. Here's how I've kind of summarized them. So these are the main points of Verses 18 through 22. 18 through 22 give reasons for why we should do these commands. Verse 14. Have no fear. There it is. And don't be troubled by how others might make you suffer. Verse 15. But honor Christ as holy, which means seeing that he's worth any suffering. And verses 16 through 17. Be ready to tell others about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Now, we can summarize those commands all into the idea of don't be afraid of suffering for Christ. Don't fear what you might suffer on the path of obedience. And so verses 18 through 22 give us three more reasons for why we should not be afraid of suffering for Christ. Let's look at what Peter says. Just fair warning, this is, this is not an easy passage, um, but it's a powerful passage. So let's take a look. Verse 18. For, here's why we should not be afraid of suffering for Christ's sake. For, or because Christ also suffered. That's the first reason. Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Here's the second reason. That he might bring us to God. 
being put to death in the flesh, that's the crucifixion, but made alive in the spirit, that's the resurrection, in which, that is in the spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, this is Noah's family, were brought safely through water, through the flood. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Okay, wow, it's quite a passage. What's going on here? So why should we not fear suffering for the sake of Christ? The first reason, start right there, verse 18. Here's how I'm going to summarize it. It's because Christ's suffering shows that all who follow him will also suffer. You may think, uh, I thought there was going to be some good news as to why we shouldn't fear here. Well, this is good news. Let me explain why. But first look at the verse, verse 18. Christ's suffering shows that all who follow him will also suffer. Verse 18, don't be afraid of suffering for because Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now let me just point out, this is an, a beautiful summary of the gospel, this verse. I would encourage you to memorize this verse. Here, Peter tells us, Jesus, the righteous one, he was fully God and fully man, he was the righteous one. He's the only human being who has never sinned. Fully God, fully man, never sinned. He died for the unrighteous. That's us. We've all sinned and deserve God's judgment forever. But in great love and compassion and mercy, God sent Jesus, Jesus came, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And because he did that, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are brought to God. Beautiful summary of the gospel. I would encourage you to memorize this verse. We're brought to God. He's our exceeding joy. He's, it's in his presence that there's fullness of joy. Amazing summary. Okay, but now how is this a reason for why we shouldn't be afraid of suffering for Christ. Here's why. I think many of us fear suffering because we think suffering shows that we are outside of God's will. We've been taught that those who are closest to Jesus won't suffer. Those who love Jesus the most won't have any problems. Well, after all, Jesus came to give us life in that abundantly, we think, right? So certainly if I receive that abundant life, I'm not going to have any suffering. And so we can think that those who are the closest to Jesus, those who are in God's will, won't ever suffer, which means then that if I do suffer, that must show that there's something amiss between me and God. Anybody relate to that? I mean, that, why do we say when something bad happens, I thought God loved me? Why would a bad thing make you think God doesn't love you? He hasn't promised no hard things. He's promised that he loves us through them. Anyway, it's a whole other sermon. We'll come to that maybe next week. We'll see what next week's passage is about. But So do you see the fear that can be in you if you think that suffering shows you're outside of God's will, there's something wrong between you and God, you could fear suffering. 
But notice again the beginning of verse 18. We should not fear suffering, for Christ also suffered. Jesus' suffering shows that our suffering does not show that we're outside of God's will because Jesus was not outside of God's will. You see that? Now let me show you two of the scriptures to back this up. John 15, verse 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. We're the servants. Jesus is the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Just let, let that rest upon us. I know this is, this is sobering, but this is the Bible. I hope you want the Bible this morning. You want Jesus' teaching. And Jesus said, maybe with tears in his eyes and love for his followers, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Don't make any mistake. If you're persecuted, it doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. It means you're following me. Mark 8.34, look at what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's not just Jesus who carries the cross. Think about Jesus carrying the cross and millions of followers behind him following him and they're all carrying crosses. Not pillows, crosses, crosses. That's what we're carrying. And he calls us to carry a cross because the gospel won't advance unless his followers are willing to suffer. That's what our Jesus says, who we love. And he blazed the trail. He said, I've got my cross. Follow me. Let's go. It's going to be all worth it. We will be strengthened, and there's going to be glory at the end. Let's go. And we say, you are worth it all. Let's go. So that's the first reason. First reason we should not fear sufferings, because suffering does not show we're outside God's will. If we're suffering for the gospel, it shows that we're in God's will. Now, I've I got to make a comment here, though. Don't share the gospel on company time, okay? That's your problem if you get in trouble for that, okay? Understand what I'm saying? Be wise, okay? On your own time, work hard at your job, all right? So be wise. Don't let this be an excuse for foolishness. But when you're suffering on the road of obeying Jesus Christ, that doesn't show that you're outside of God's will. It shows that you're in God's will. Let that strengthen you. Second reason, because Jesus brought us to God whose presence is worth all our suffering. Verse 18, let's read it again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Oh, this is good news. Because Jesus died on the cross, the moment you put your trust in him, for the first time, you are brought to God. For the first time, you know God. You know his love. You feel his favor. You behold his glory. You are filled. The, the joy that you've longed for all your life is found in knowing God. And because Jesus died on the cross by faith and you're trusting in him, he brings you to God. 
And the joy of knowing God is worth any suffering. I wrote those words down yesterday. I thought, really? Any suffering? And then I, I thought about Richard Wormbrandt. Many of you know the name Richard Wormbrandt. Some of you may not. Richard Wormbrandt was a Romanian pastor. We love our Romanian brothers and sisters here. Oh, the Romanian believers have suffered in the past, and it's better today, but still. Richard Wormbrandt was a pastor in Romania. He knew it was illegal to preach. He kept preaching. One Sunday while he was walking to his church, a van pulled up, and he was um, taken into the van and put in prison. And for eight years, he was uh, horribly beaten and tortured and suffered. And I, I thought about him, and I, I found, he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. I had it on my bookshelf. I thought, let me just, and here's this quote that I found yesterday. Here's what he said about his experience. We felt the torture, but it often seemed as something distant and far removed from the spirit, which was lost in the glory of Christ and his presence with us. Mm. That's what Jesus will do. Now, you might think, I'm not feeling that now. Well, you're not being tortured now, okay? God will give you the grace for whatever suffering he has for you. But do you see this? I'm not sure it gets much worse than what Richard Wormbrand experienced for eight years. The, the glory of Christ was so full that oh, we, we were met by him, his presence with us. So, yes, you, you might lose some friendships. You might lose some of your popularity. But the joy of knowing God is worth it all. You might miss out on a promotion. You might lose your job, I suppose, could happen. Knowing God, knowing you're living for Jesus' glory, knowing you're on the path of obedience is worth it all. You might have family members who turn against you. You might be shunned in your neighborhood or by people in your workplace. But you'll have God in whose presence there is fullness of joy. And he is worth it all, and he makes any suffering worth it all. And that's the second reason. We don't need to suffer. Third reason. It's because, through Jesus, God will deliver his saved people from all their suffering. Now, this is the tough part of the passage, verses 19 through 22. Let me read it through, try to explain to you Two different ways people take this. I'll show you which one I think is right. I'm about 60% sure. Okay, this is an area where people who study the Bible can have different opinions. It's not crystal clear. It's a difficult passage. All the views have their weaknesses. Let's read the verses, though, and I'll, I'll talk you through it. Verse 19. In the Spirit, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, Noah's family, were brought safely through water, through the flood. Then he makes a connection with us today, and baptism is a picture of being saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, like Noah's family saved through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, 
but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, verses 19 and 20 in particular are hard to understand, right? Peter says that Jesus, in the Spirit, went and proclaimed something to spirits who were in prison. And that's, that's hell. Everybody agrees that prison is hell here. And, and those spirits who were in hell, um, they didn't obey um, during the time of Noah. But during this time of Noah, God was preparing an ark to save the eight members of Noah's family. And he used that ark to save them through the water, which is a picture of how God saves us. Okay, that's what Peter is saying here, but what's he talking about? What's going on? And like I said, there's, there's two main possibilities. One possibility is this, that Jesus was proclaiming his victory to demons after he died on the cross. Now let me read through these verses, add a couple of phrases and you'll see how, okay, that this, is, this is a possible meaning of what's going on here. Verse 19, in the spirit, Jesus went after he died on the cross, that's what this view says, and proclaimed his victory on the cross to demons who were in hell. Because, and they're in hell because they did not formally obey. And, and the way they didn't formally obey was back in the time of Noah, they had sexual relations with women. And people think that that's what's talked about in Genesis 6, 2 through 4. And that's the time back then in the time of Noah when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Okay, did you follow that? This is one view. Hope you've all got your thinking caps on here, okay? So after this, according to this view, after Jesus died on the cross, he went to hell, he proclaimed his victory to demons who were there, and they were there because during the days of Noah, they had disobeyed God by having sexual relations with, with women. That's one view. That might be what Peter is saying, but I, I'm not persuaded that's the most accurate view. Like I said, I'm about 60% persuaded on another one. That means I'm 40% for this one. So. We don't need to fight about it here, all right? Um, but let me share two reasons why I don't think that's what Peter is saying. One is, I'm not convinced that Genesis 6, 2 through 4 is describing demons having sexual relations with women. Don't have time to get into that here. You study that passage on your own. My conviction is that what is being described there is believer, believing men marrying unbelieving women. I think that's what's being talked about in Genesis 6. But you work on that on your own. That's one reason why I don't think this last view is correct. A second reason is, I, I don't see how this connects with what we're talking about in the passage. How, how does Jesus proclaiming his victory to demons have anything to do with eight members of Noah's family being rescued through the flood? And, and then show us how we're saved by God. I, don't, I just don't see the connection there between them. So I think that another view is, is better. Um, I'm 60% persuaded. According to this view, these verses show that what Jesus did was he preached the gospel to unbelievers during Noah's time. Let me read these verses. You're thinking, how does that, how's that in the verses? Let me try to show you. Verse 19, in the spirit Jesus went in the days of Noah and through Noah he proclaimed the gospel to unbelievers who were alive at the time of Noah but who've since died and, and gone to hell because they formerly did not obey. 
They didn't obey by responding to the gospel. And that was when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So this view says that Jesus, during the time of Noah, was preaching the gospel through Noah to unbelievers who were there, but they didn't respond to the gospel, which is why they are now in hell. So big difference here, same passage. Okay, are you all just like totally lost? You look like you're a little, like, hello, is everybody awake here? <laughs> okay. The, the hardest thing about that view is that Jesus in the Spirit is preaching to people through Noah, the gospel. But look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. I want you to see that that's not that foreign to Peter's way of talking. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, Old Testament prophets, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, the Old Testament prophets, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So here Peter is saying that the Spirit of Jesus was in the Old Testament prophets prophesying through them. The Spirit of Jesus in the Old Testament prophets. So it's not that far of a, much of a stretch to think that in chapter 3, Peter saying the Spirit of Jesus was preaching through Noah. He preached through the Old Testament prophets. You could categorize Noah as an Old Testament prophet. That's why I think that's the best interpretation. I think Peter's talking about the time of Noah. That's where his focus is. During the time of Noah, Jesus in the Spirit went and preached through Noah to unbelievers who were there at that time. They did not repent, these unbelievers. They continued in their sin, so God brought the flood and he destroyed them all, and they're now in hell, but at the same time, God is preparing an ark by which he saved the eight members of Noah's family. Okay? Whew, through that part, now verse 21, he applies this to us. Look at what he says in verse 21. Baptism which corresponds to this, being like saved like an ark through the flood, like being saved through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as I was thinking about this, this again is all reasons why we don't need to fear suffering on the path of obedience. But this verse also teaches us some very important truths about baptism. And we haven't taught a lot about baptism here. So I just want to mention four things about baptism. Some things that this verse is saying and, and some things it's not saying about baptism. Just to get our understanding of baptism a little stronger as a church. First of all, this verse does not mean that everyone who is baptized is automatically saved. You could think that from this verse, but if you read it carefully, you'll see that's not what Peter is saying. Peter says what saves is not the body being washed from dirt. It's not just the physical action of baptism. What saves through baptism is the heart appealing to God for a good conscience through the resurrection. Father, cleanse my heart from sin, change my heart through the resurrection, the life and death of resurrection of Jesus. That heart appeal is what saves, not the action of, of baptism. So if you are baptized in water and there's no appealing to God, there's no faith in Jesus Christ, you're just getting wet. It's all that's happening if that's what's all that's going on in your heart. So Peter is not saying 
that everyone who gets baptized is automatically saved. So important because some people get the idea, well, I was baptized, so I'm good to go, right? Not necessarily. Let's talk some more. What's happening in your heart? Second, this does not mean that you must be baptized to be saved. Some groups do take this verse to mean that, and that is not the case. Remember the thief on the cross who was saved, right? Was that thief baptized? Obviously not, no. Also, remember the Philippian jailer who asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And remember Paul's answer in Acts 16.31 is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not believe and be baptized, just believe. We are saved by faith alone, not faith and works of any sort. We're saved by faith alone. Do not need to be baptized to be saved. But third, crucial point, this verse means that every follower of Jesus should be baptized. Because here, Peter's implying that all of his readers have been baptized. As you read the verse, he's assuming they're all going to say, that's right, I was baptized. And while I was baptized, I was appealing to God from a good conscience or for a good conscience. The reason every follower of Jesus should be baptized is because the first commandment Jesus gives those who've been saved through trusting him is show your faith in Christ by being baptized. Go public. And as we take that step and are baptized in water, we're brought into the water, we're brought back up, God meets us, he blesses. I remember the last baptism we had, so encouraging. The beautiful ways God was touching the hearts of the people that were being baptized. So I want to encourage you, if you have not been baptized and you are trusting Jesus Christ, he's calling you to get baptized. June 1st, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, we're having a baptism. Email gracechurchabudabi at gmail.com and let us know you want to get baptized. We'll send you information about what that means so that you can have it be as meaningful as possible. I would urge you, if you're trusting Jesus Christ and you've not been baptized, get baptized. Now, a fourth truth that I want to mention also. This verse raises the question of whether we should baptize babies or whether we should just baptize those who are old enough to understand the gospel and have faith in Christ. Is it infant baptism or is it believer baptism? I just want to mention some of my heroes in the faith who I love and have learned from and revere, many, many of my heroes in the faith believe in infant baptism. And I know many of you believe in infant baptism. You believe that's what the Bible teaches. And again, this is one of those areas where godly people can come to different conclusions. It's not crystal clear in the Bible. Many of you believe in infant baptism, and that's how you were baptized, and you believe that's your baptism. And I just want to mention, this is an area where godly people can have different opinions. And here at Grace Church, if you believe in infant baptism, you can be a member here in good standing. You can serve in the church. But the steering team is not persuaded that that's what the Bible teaches. And so while we welcome you, if that's what you believe, we don't have clear conscience to practice that because we think the Bible teaches believer's baptism. Again, this is just, we can all love each other. There's probably dozens of areas where we have different opinions here. 
but Jesus unites us together. But I want to share with you why this is our, our practice. We do have dedications for infants, but that's not baptism. So let me share why, and this verse gives one of the reasons why. It's because this verse shows, I believe, that baptism involves a personal heart appeal to God to cleanse your conscience, give me a good conscience, change my heart, wash me clean from sin through the resurrection of Jesus. That that's what's supposed to be happening in baptism. And infants aren't old enough, my conclusion, to do that. They aren't mature enough, they, aren't, they, aren't, they don't have, they're just, they're just, they're infants, okay? But as a child gets older, understands the gospel, is able to have that heart appeal to God. And so that's why my conviction is that we should wait and baptize people when they're old enough to understand their sin and what Jesus has done so they can make an appeal to God through Jesus. So just to want, want you to understand where we are now. Again, if you are passionately persuaded about infant baptism and that's how you were baptized and you love that doctrine and, and you love those heroes of the faith, I totally get it. I understand. Be, become part of Grace Church. We love you. We're here for you. But this is what we can and can't do in terms of what our conscience is from what we understand biblically. So that's, that's, the, that's the, 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 the road we're trying to walk together as a church. So, okay, that's baptism talk. Now, back to the topic at hand, okay? Can you regroup, refocus? How does this section of this passage free us from fear of suffering on the road uh, of obedience? Think about the eight members of Noah's family. Noah, his wife, sons, um, wives. Think about the eight members of Noah's family. They were the only believers on the earth at that time, surrounded by thousands of unbelievers who are hearing the gospel preached and saying no. Just imagine the difficulties that that would have involved. But God saved these eight believers. God brought the flood, God prepared an ark, and he saved them bringing them safely through the water. And, and I think the point that Peter's making is this. No matter how outnumbered you might feel in your neighborhood as a believer, in your workplace as a believer, in your city, in your country as a believer, no matter how outnumbered you might be or no matter how much you are suffering on the road to obedience to Jesus Christ, you can be absolutely confident that because of what Jesus Christ has done and you're trusting him, that God has saved you. You are saved. And because you are saved, you will be delivered from all suffering in the life to come. Suffering is not permanent. Suffering will end. You can be absolutely confident you have been saved through Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross. You are saved. That is set. And because you are saved, suffering will end. Glory is coming. And Jesus is worth it all. That's what I think is going on in this passage. And we can be so sure that we're saved through Jesus because of verse 22. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Think of Jesus at the right hand of God. Remember, he rose from the dead, he was there teaching, and then he ascended into heaven, and he's at the right hand of God, 
and at the right hand of God means that he is equal to God the Father in every way. Jesus Christ, your Savior, has all authority. And that's the point of saying that angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ, your Savior. So if your Savior has authority over everything, everything, that means he's in entire authority over your suffering. There's a verse in Revelation. I just thought of it now. I can't think of the reference, but the exact number of martyrs has been predestined, has been ordained by God. The exact number, that's what he says in the book of Revelation because he's in control of everything. Believers being killed is not out from under God's hand. God's in control of everything. Our brothers and sisters in North Korea now who are suffering, that's not outside of God's hand. Believers who are suffering in Vietnam, that's not outside of God's hand. God's in control of everything. But understand, suffering does not have the last word. Deliverance will come. And Jesus is worth it all. Okay, so here's the three reasons. So Grace Church, what we're praying is that this morning God will use this to help us be more faithful, to make disciples of all the nations, help us to be faithful to obey Jesus Christ no matter what the cost, help us to live for his glory no matter what suffering it might mean. Three reasons. Because Christ's suffering shows that all who follow him will also suffer. Suffering doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. Again, don't be foolish, be wise, but obey, be bold but it means you're in God's will if you've been wise. And because Jesus brought us to God whose presence is worth all our suffering, just like Richard Wormbrandt experienced in that prison. And because through Jesus, God will deliver his saved people from all suffering. I thought about it like this. 100 years from today, none of us are gonna be here, right? You're trusting Jesus Christ, you're gonna be in heaven. And you will be so glad you chose the path of obedience to Jesus Christ. You will look back and you'll be so glad you obeyed him because you will have just been delivered from all the suffering, all the suffering delivered. You'll be victorious. You'll be standing before Christ with all the saints worshiping and glorifying him and you'll see you, Jesus Christ, were worth it all. Thank you, thank you for all that you've done. I'm home. Let's celebrate. Let's stand together. Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts with this truth strongly right now. I pray that you would touch those who right now are feeling fear of what might happen if they obey you. I pray that you would so powerfully meet them in the truths of this passage that they'd be freed from fear. I pray for any of those, Lord, who have not been obeying you because of fear. I pray for conviction to come now and hope and strength and encouragement to come right now. I pray for any here who are not yet trusting Jesus Christ, that they would put their trust in Christ now and be saved. Come and work with power, I pray in Jesus' name.